You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. All right, Bracken. I want to hear the news. We had to put off, before we get to this weekend, because I know you're out in Vegas, uh, not competing, unfortunately. We had to sort of put off this recording because you're at the doctor's, Mm -hmm. uh, or the surgeon's, maybe. Surgery consult. Surgery consult. So, not that I want to have this conversation, but we got to have this conversation. What, uh, what... What's been figured out with your hernia? Uh, definitely needs an operation, and it's going to happen as soon as I get back from Ireland, it looks like. Ugh. So what did the doctor tell you last week? You went in to get checked on like Thursday before leaving for High Rocks, and they said, no, absolutely not? They didn't say absolutely not, but it's very low. And the lower it is, the less protection you have down there. And so it's it's easier to tear, supposedly. Okay. They basically said every time, like I had said on here, every time you Valsalva, every time you brace and exert, it's just it forces through there, and there is nothing stopping it. And the entire Hyrox is that. So I told you I'd went through that full workout, uh, testing it out. Well, that night it was already significantly larger just from a half speed oh. workout, and I tried to breathe through that workout. And I wouldn't have been able to breathe through the stations at High Rock, so it just became apparent it's not worth it. So you have a tear in the lining of your very, 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 very low abdomen in the muscle wall, and you have like small intestine pushing through is what I inguinal hernia or some sort of innard the lining. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, at this point it he the the surgeon today says he doesn't think it's actually intestine pushing through because it's low enough that it um, it might just be like that fascia has torn and there is some fatty tissue and muscle mm-hmm. coming through. Got it. And worst case scenario is that blows right through or the tear just extends down further and then it causes more problems than anything. Yeah, you've got a bunch of, of tubes running down in that area. And if those become impinged, impacted or twisted, then pain scale obviously skyrockets, but so do complications. Okay. So what are your limitations then these next like two, three weeks or whenever before surgery? Same as what we kind of assumed. I just am not allowed to brace. So you can run. In fact, he said, you might as well just absorb some of that training and running. He said running, repetitive type deal like that. Impact has no say in the matter. It's just when you have to push, when you have to hold your breath, when you have to Valsalva, it just forces through and it's going to tear wider every time that happens. So mm. no lifting, but as much running as I want. Well, that's good, at least for your sanity. Which I'm going to go nuts with. Well, yeah, you're in Ireland. Can't hurt yourself in two weeks, right? <laughs> well, even if you do, you're going to have to take some time off afterwards. <laughs> so are they giving you the mesh? Is that what you're doing? You're going to get a mesh and you're going to get stitched up? And Yeah, he, he said obviously he'd prefer to be able to just take some tissue and stitch it together and create a natural barrier. He said, but down there, there's just nothing to work with. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing. So yeah, it's going to have to be mesh. 
I'm starting to think that you're addicted to anesthesia or something. And you're just finding ways to get, get that back in your veins. It's such a weird... I had this conversation a million times this weekend because I was out in public mm-hmm, and saw sure. people and they're all up to date on it. And it's weird to hear it from other people's eyes and then st- start hear- thinking of it through their eyes versus my own and, and start thinking, you know, if this were someone else, I'd start to think your body's just breaking down on you. And yet to me, everything's explainable or freak. And that will be forever. I know. Forever. So I would I would start to look at someone else and be like, you've got a wholesale change you've got to make because something's not going right. Your body's breaking down. And to me, I look at it and say, I have never had a single running injury in my life. Meniscus was not running. It was semi-random. The second one was. And this hernia, I can't even point to what happened. I've never had a stress fracture, never had a stress reaction. There, it's My sport of choice doesn't do anything to me. It's it's just random things throughout the day. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but it was interesting to start seeing that like fragile, broken um, view of me from other people's eyes, which is not encouraging, but it, it makes you mad as if you need to prove that you're not fragile or breaking down. I've been having this conversation a lot lately. Um, um, as this day, this comes out, I'll, <clears throat> it's my birthday. I'll be 39. So, excuse me. <clears throat> so, topic of like age and performance. <clears throat> What's going on here? <clears throat> Swallow age. beard hair? I don't know what I did. <clears throat> Can I stop you? <laughs> this reminds <laughs> me of a story. I think I've told this story once. Go ahead. But we had an upperclassman on our track team come out my freshman year. And we were, maybe it was my sophomore year, because we were trying to break our our facility record for the 4x8 indoor. And he ran anchor because he had run a really fast time trial in training. He was older than all of us and just stronger. And so we put him on anchor and we got out hard. We all ran what we needed to run. And it wasn't very fast indoor. I think we all had mm-hmm. to average under 205 sure. to break the facility record because it's a 160 meter track, yeah. tight turns, whoever goes hard after a four by eight and January, February in Wisconsin. Anyway, he gets it and he blasts out. He's like, I don't know, 58, 59 through the quarter and uh, starts falling apart and eventually doubles over and steps off the track and we're DQ'd. <laughs> In a coughing fit? Yeah. Well, kind of, yeah, but he's like gagging and hacking and the way you look when you've gone out in 58 when you're a 205, 800-meter mm-hmm. runner and it's indoor air. But his excuse he finally gave us was he swallowed a feather. <laughs> Did that actually, I mean, could that have happened? I mean, anything can happen. Anything's possible crazier things have happened but the, the just the image of this feather just floating <laughs> back and forth gently through the air right into his lungs and yeah. then as he comes in just right down his throat he's not sorry, likely guys, i swallowed a feather <laughs> how would he have <laughs> even been able to know that was the situation at that time you, you you had time to register the feather approaching your face and you're like oh no I can't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> time stood still as it directed into his throat uh, which if you think about it gasping with a dry throat while running a feather would be totally destructive to <laughs> it would race. it would be game over probably <laughs> but that would be some next level terrible luck that guy came up with that on the spot i mean decent alibi but if i 
there's other things likely to be floating around, I feel like, in an indoor facility. But that became our team phrase. Someone fades in a workout. Someone has a rough race. Swallow the feather. Like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Swallow <laughs> the feather. You have a bad performance on a test in school. Like, I, I was just going great. I swallowed a feather. I might start using that. Well, that was my first coughing fit in like 200-some episodes, so that's not so bad, I would say. No, that was good. That was a distraction. It might come back again. I don't know. Um <clears throat> but I've been having the conversation lately about age, birthday, 39. I was talking about that. Um, and you got one coming up soon as well, mm-hmm. like real soon. But anyways, and so it's all about like this just keeps like coming up, like age, the body breaking down, seemingly one random thing after another. And all of them to you and you're living, it seems like, oh, that was a fluke or this won't happen again or I'm not fragile. It's just like. I don't know why this happened. And you know what? Like the older you get, the more and more you don't know why things happen, but they still happen. And it's yeah. true. Like I have this potential tear or hernia thing going on. I have a knee thing going on. <clears throat> I'm having to, you know, this upper back rib thing is always out of place on me, which we barely talk about that constant upper left quadrant bothering me. And like for no reason, not a moment I can peg nothing. It's just, they're all there and they're all adding up and one new one will pop in for no reason at all. And I think that's just how it goes. That's called like Mm -hmm. oxidization and whatever is going on physiologically just leads to random chaos muscularly and skeletally. That's what I think. I I don't know, man. And you know what, before you go, I mean, I have like, common common people in the gym that i train that might only work out once a week or twice a week with me and they don't do shit on their own and that's okay like that's the relationship we have and twice a week is better than nothing they haven't worked out their entire lives and they start picking it up at 40 or 45 they got a bunch of random crap going on too and they're pretty you know sedentary it's just like i don't care like yes you're working hard and earning these but like this stuff's happening to the potato eating couch sitter too it really is and I just, it's across the board. Those potato eaters. Those damn potato eaters. But you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I, I don't, I don't want to read too far into it because that's how you lose what's going on upstairs. Yep. And I don't want to not read into it because that's how you keep the blinders on. Like you have to be self-aware. You have to be able to distance yourself and make unemotional decisions about yourself the way you would try to recommend towards someone else that you didn't have stake in their life. But I, I just, right now, I, I don't want to make any sort of rash decision. So Lisa and I had a conversation because we had a lot of time together this weekend mm-hmm. where we're sorting through exactly what any of this all means and what I need to do from here. So like internally, that conversation has been had and there are some decisions that have been made. But I'm also tired of talking about the decisions I've had to make and what the next plan is because... People get tired of that from knee to knee to what else, what happened in between there, calf to hernia. Like a couple of people this weekend, many people said, man, just whatever you get back, then the next thing just jumps up. It's trying to stop you. And sometimes it feels like that, but I'd also know that it feels like the other side of the coin is at some point people get tired of just hearing about the fact that there's always something. And so I don't really even want to talk right now about the what next. Yeah. I'd almost rather just like sit in it for a while yeah. and then hopefully the next thing shows itself rather than gets talked about and then doesn't happen. 
I was all fired up about Ireland and Hyrox and talked about it for months, and then we get here and it doesn't even occur, and mm. I'm kind of tired of that. I respect that. I understand how you'd feel that way. I do want to ask one question, though. You may. Thank you. Um, as far as the recovery from that surgery, what yeah. does that look like? Just so I know like the, the immediate, what your restrictions are going to be. Well, and I'm asking more, I mean, we could have this off air, but I'm asking more about personal curiosity because I'm going to be making an appointment here myself. So I'm just curious as to how this goes. The general rule with hernias is two weeks, 10 pounds, two more weeks, 20 pounds, and then two more weeks to build back up towards what you're used to being able to do. Hmm. So you can lift up to 10 pounds for two weeks, up to 20 pounds for two weeks. And it's supposedly regardless of what your prior training and strength levels are, because that's the rough amount of weight that requires you to brace any amount. Now, I don't believe that's true because you can't just make a blanket statement, but the point is you can't do much for two weeks, can do very little for four weeks. And then after a month you get to start, but what about running impact, biking, that stuff? What they want is the mesh to bind. They want, they want scar tissue to form and interact with the mesh and create a solid structure to prevent relapse. And the mesh is big. He said is the size of his hand, which basically tries to cover up the entire, like all three weak points down there where hernias do manifest and prevent future. So you want full binding down there so that you just don't have reoccurrence. And what I found with my knee is I went in with for knee number one with the mentality of, I am not one of the lower 99 percentile. You know, that's the, that athletic hubris I have in my life where I just assume I'm, I beat the odds at anything I do. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to be done quicker and my body did not respond to that. And it set me back further. So it's like, no matter how successful or unsuccessful you are in other areas, your body's regeneration doesn't care about that. And I, Mm -hmm. and so bearing that in mind, my feeling is six weeks, eight weeks, it doesn't matter a year from now, fitness wise. What does matter is do I give it full time? So I'm planning on erring on the side of caution and giving it an extra week or two and then having a very intentional build back in the way I did my second knee surgery, not the way I did my first. Because in the grand scheme of things, what's two weeks? Nothing. Does that mean no running as well for two to four weeks? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I basically have an off season, a very mm-hmm. sedentary off season. And then. I'm going to treat it like that. Like I'm coming off off season. How else do you treat it? The way I used to, which is all right. Now let's jump back in and make up for lost time, which yeah, we're getting old. We can't do that. Nope. How old are you turning back in a couple days? 35. 35. Oh yeah. Plenty young, plenty young, sir. Yeah. Yeah. We have time. So do we want to dissect a little bit of the races this weekend or do we want to save that and jump into um, topic? It leads us into our topic, I feel like. It does. We can talk about the races a little bit. I was able to watch in person the High Rocks work, and no one really got to watch much of Big Bear, but there'll Mm -hmm. be a show coming out about that. But there was dominance, there was a bit of a chase pack, and there was a lot of suffering and falling apart in both events. And it was very, A, not surprising in a way, because that's what championship events do. You bring the, what, nine best people to finals at nationals, indoor and outdoor, Mm -hmm. and how many have a good race? A handful. Two or three, maybe Mm -hmm. four. You just get, when you're all close to the same ability, 
it just chews and spits people out. Either do well or you get spit out the back or you're, you're closing. So that wasn't as surprising. But it was surprising seeing how some people really, really struggled from the onset. Are you talking in both races again? Both races, In regards yeah. to this? Yeah, well, you had a firsthand uh, experience at High Rocks, and you didn't have the distraction of your own race, so you probably got to absorb the pro race uh, fully. And I watched all weekend. All day I was there because I had a bunch of athletes competing, and I got to watch different age groups and watch how everyone handled it. Mm-hmm. And so you felt like some players came to play, and some were on a different like on a different planet not in a good yeah. way. They were just off in left field picking dandelions and you couldn't figure out why. The way, I mean, going back to an indoor nationals, that was probably the highest pressure situation you and I raced at at the collegiate level. Yeah. And the worst part for most people was the corral beforehand. Mm-hmm. You're in this walled off room or just uh, a cordoned off area where you're all in one spot. You have to put your spikes on and have your warmups off like 15, 20 minutes before the race, which is very unusual for running. Mm-hmm. And you just stand there and people avoid eye contact and they're shuffling. There's tons of nervous energy, but you can look around and see that there are three classes of people. There are people who are locked in. There are people who are locked out and there are people mm-hmm. who don't have a care in the world. Yep. And that was the same thing watching the, the athletes mill around the hallway in the athlete area right beforehand and then in the, the the doorway before they went out there were people who were locked in people locked out and people that didn't have a care in the world yeah well and and did you did you follow up with performances of said people and be like you know what they did seem locked in and they performed well and that guy who was all loose and laughy and jokey like he went out and had a good race but that one you could you know hear the quiver in his voice and he was he laid an egg mm-hmm. did you notice any of yeah. that yeah, it's like 50-50. Half the people who are locked in are locked in in a good way, and the other half are locked in like in a, I'm way, way, way too intense and overthinking this yep. way, and that yep. manifested on course. All right. Sometimes that appearance of locked in is like trying to force locked in because I know I'm not ready. And then the, the the people that looked totally unprepared were usually unprepared, and the people who didn't have a care in the world it was, again, split 50-50. Some just did fantastic and others didn't have a care in the world because they had already written off their race and didn't care. They already knew. Mm-hmm. I find, like, when I have my best races, I'm very locked in. Like, I've decided mentally what I am going to bring to the table weeks or days before the actual event. Like, I'm fueled by a backstory or an, um, something that I've, like, um, written a monologue I've written in my head. And then when I show up to race day... All that stuff's been decided, and I can be loose and fun and um, lighthearted, but my mentality like has been decided before I'm even there, if that makes sense. Yeah. like It doesn't matter what happens that day because I know what I'm going to put out. And so that's when you can really open up, I feel like, to be free and enjoy the experience instead of in your own head, if that makes sense. It does. Mm-hmm. But all those things aside... My One of my big takeaways from this weekend was how at the very highest level of the sport, which is, I don't know, top 10, top 20 people in the world or in North America for a big bear, there were some commonalities throughout there that I didn't expect to see, which was that there is a large percentage of people getting lost in the weeds of training, missing the big picture still. 
at this level. I got to talk to a lot of athletes and some of them I look at and think, I think you're doing a better job than I could do with you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I like to think that I know how to coach, but I look at someone and think I wouldn't have thought of that. Or you're way more dialed in than I think I could have got you like fantastic. I, I look up to that and it's inspiring. And then I take notes on it and I walk away and think, how could I incorporate that into my own work to try to be better? Mm-hmm. But there was a surprising number of people asking questions on what they should do next from here or confidently spelling out their training and me thinking that's not super great which is a wild that they got to this level doing that and b wild that somewhere amongst their support system isn't a voice of reason that either exists or is listened to that can keep them away from the peripherals of what's important in training and focus on the meat and potatoes that people are either lost in doing way, way, way too much skill work, focusing on the one thing that went wrong or right in the previous race, and they just got to hone in on that, or so much global work that they didn't do enough specific things to shore up that area that they really need. But I would say half the athletes there appear by their own words that they spoke to be missing the boat in training still. Hmm. And it was shocking. Did you find that um, to be the case with people that, you would look at as like very successful yeah or more the the up-and-comers the ones who are trying okay full spectrum that there are some people there who are world class with i would say sea level training foresight Hmm. and there are people who are sea level world athletes meaning like the chase pack or the tail pack at the world level with a plus world-class foresight in their training for how to script out what they do but a whole lot of people there missing the big picture in training yeah and i think i want to talk about that because there's always that trickle-down effect if you see a sample of it at the top you know people are following that person and doing it yeah i i think that is the most common thing that i feel like i shake my head at when i have conversations with people, whether it's in a coaching consult or it's randomly BSing on Instagram or in person at races is Mm -hmm. people split too many hairs. They overcomplicate things. They get too cute almost all the time. Like, should I put the sandbag carry before or after my assault bike? Or should I put the assault bike before after the treadmill? And like, do you think 55 or 60 pounds in the bucket would be enough? Um, and then like, do you think I should do it fasted or shouldn't I do it fasted? Like I've been doing it fasted, but I don't like, you can already listen. Like you're probably tuning me out already. And the point being is like, I don't even care if you carry a sandbag or a bucket. I don't care if you assault bike at all or not. I just care like about the basics. Like yes, none, none of these things really work that well without the basics being 90% of what you're doing. And you look at somebody even like if we flip, you know, sides of the coin and go to the Spartan race in Big Bear this last weekend, you want to know who's like the least cute with their training? Ryan Atkins. I don't even know if Ryan Atkins picks up a sandbag or a bucket or does compromised work in his training at all. I'm pretty sure he doesn't do much of that, if any, anymore. You could maybe, or he could chime in and let me know if I'm correct. And you know what? It didn't matter because he works foundational not fancy, not cute, 99% of the time. The stuff that actually matters. A lot of people are wasting their time doing frills and and thrills that don't even really apply. They don't move the needle nearly as much as the basics. And then as to your testament, 
Um, it's a lot of throwing random skills at the wall and hoping that they come through and benefit you on race day when really we're, we're just talking about the very, very tip of the iceberg when you talk about that skill work. And so yeah. for me, from the, just piggybacking your conversation, wanting to dive into the fact of like, hey, like, don't be cute. Don't be too cute. Fitness, fitness is still going to win over anything else. And so I don't know. You started talking about that before we started recording, and that's just what jumped out to me immediately. Well, I saw three main mistakes that people were making, and that was one of them. So before I go into that, I just really do want to restress. This isn't coming from a place of arrogance or haughtiness or I know better. It's there are truths that the entire endurance world knows to be true. And I'm only aware of that because other people started it out far before me. If I can learn it, anyone can learn it. And there were a bunch of people that weren't doing it. So these are the things that jumped out at me. Like I said, there were a lot of people there doing things well above what I could do with them. And that's so humbling and inspiring to see. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my phone is full of notes that I took from the weekend of things I can do better based off what I've heard other people do. You know, you just steal. You steal, you steal, you steal, and you find a way to adapt it to yourself. That's what yep. learning is. You're just stealing other people's ideas, but in a nice way. And then you pass it along to the next generation, and that's your piece. That's your link in the chain. But that first one, the first thing that people do is they get caught up in the minute details that don't matter, which isn't always the worst thing, except that it causes them to turn a blind eye to the things that do work in fitness. So whenever you pivot towards a specific skill, You can't pivot towards that with both feet. You have to just slightly shift your weight over while maintaining your left foot fully entrenched in the things that got you there. And that's what I heard from a lot of athletes is that they were shifting away and doing, let's say, the last high rocks I did. This, this, and this really got me. And I I shifted so that I was working on those three times a week all leading up to this. And that station is just not going to give me hassle anymore. It's like, yes, that's true. But if you're doing three quality sessions a week on that, by the nature of that, there aren't any sessions left for the other pieces. And what happened during the race? The pieces that they assumed to be good were no longer as strong. And then they couldn't do the new piece they wanted to work on because they had to do the old piece first in the race. And they got to that new skill set they've made so strong but they're more depleted than they usually are and they couldn't be as good at it. And then they were more depleted and they couldn't get back to the thing they used to be good at. So by, by actually turning their back to it rather than slightly pivoting, they screwed their race and had a worse performance than they'd ever had. And that's Hmm. logical to think that way, but it's shocking to see it at the highest end, but we all do that to some extent. And I think it's a good reminder. People need to remember that you can't, give up one in order to do the other you need to just add that new piece into the fold i know that was a bit of a rant but i wanted to get that all out in one one chunk of words there well how many coaching consults have you had i've had a number of coaching consults recently just like a one hour where we just talk about what they're doing give them advice and they move on and apply whatever we talk about Mm -hmm. and in those coaching consults you start listening to um like some of their own programming and a lot of athletes are putting together amazing programming but a lot of time it's like Monday I did, you know, 
barbell hang clean into a hundred meter run into this. And then, and you look at this thing and it looks like a quadratic equation. And then Wednesday they do a different like quadratic formula. And then by Saturday it's a race sim and you're looking at this and it's just becomes like one jumbled mess of non-progressing stimulus that never really moves the needle at all. Um, and I feel like people, um, lose sight of like the fundamentals like you should look at your week and 90 percent of your week should be foundational work even in peaking season even when you're ready to show up and crush your a race of the year yeah you want to get dialed in a little bit but it's like it's like the foundation is what got you here and you can't let that erode on the way by getting distracted with like your example so to speak if that makes sense, like you, you're going to, you're going to crumble at the, at the seams and that's not, it's just not sustainable and it's just not progressive. So that's how I look at that. If that really made sense at all or not. Yeah, it does. And, and then there's the flip side of that coin. That's the over evolution. I know I need to evolve as an athlete, but I go all in on evolving to that one piece and I forget who I was up until this point and I lose track of that skill. And as a result, I lose that fitness. The other side of the coin was I talked to several people who are basically just repeating what they had done to get them there. Sure. Which on paper is not a bad thing. It's the easiest trap to fall into. Yeah. And it's the easiest way to get your training correct is to repeat what you've done. But there's two issues there. The first is that if you don't increase the stimulus, you don't increase the response. So repeating what you've done is a good way to repeat what you've done. But the human mind, the way we work, is we say, I did this already. And let's say I went 70 minutes in this competition. Now I repeat it again. I've got a whole nother training block behind me. I'm in fitness to go 66 and I'm going to go out to do it. Well, you've done more work, but if you have an increased stimulus, probably the best thing you've done is increase your aerobic capacity slightly. You haven't really moved the needle anaerobically. You haven't moved the needle strength-wise, and you haven't moved the needle speed-wise. So you haven't pushed your stress enough to get a adaptation on the back end. And so now you just go out harder, and then you feel worse, and then you're confused afterwards. Like, I did everything I had done, and I'm another six months down the road in training. Why wasn't I any better? And it's that, well, you did everything you'd done, but now your body needs more of something, You either have to increase volume, increase pace, increase weight, increase intensity somehow, or increase frequency. You can do the same training block, but some pieces need to be manipulated slightly higher in order to actually drive adaptation, and that part is missed. Or they don't take a big enough snapshot of what they did to get to the first part, and they undercut their fitness a little bit by only repeating the block of training that they think caused the adaptation, and they missed the precursor that led to it. But either way, repeating what you did doesn't guarantee more success. Did you have that specific conversation with some athletes saying, I did what I did at the North American Champs, and I really raced well there, and I did the same thing before this one, and I didn't, for example. Did you have that specific conversation? I didn't talk with with people afterwards about it. It was too soon 
Mm-hmm. It was the same day after the competition. You know the headspace were in there. You need a couple yep. days to cool down. So I actually didn't even seek people out to talk about their result. But I had the conversation in the two days leading up to it with several different athletes of both genders who said a version of that. This is what I did prior to whatever race, and I repeated that. And sometimes it was accompanied with, and along the way I did this workout here, and now I did it this much faster. And then I'd ask some questions about the rest of the training. And what it appeared to me is that you got better at that workout because almost any workout I give you, the second time you nail it mm-hmm. much better than the first. And the third time you do it better and then you start to stagnate because you've figured out all the tricks and now fitness and motivation are the only things that take it farther. Yeah. First time you do it, you're afraid of the workout and excited. So you give a great effort and you kind of screw up the execution in places because you don't know better. The second time you're excited to do better and you have a better strategy. And then after that, your excitement for that, that test workout goes down each time and the low hanging fruit is gone. So there's always that big jump from one to two or two to three, and then it's over. And I think a lot of people had that false sense of security too, which is I did this test workout. I did it two minutes faster. I am ready to rock. Well, If that's the only fitness indicator you have that you're truly in better fitness, you might not be. You might have just been better at executing the workout. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you see it all the time. In fact, it's one of the things that like high level endurance coaches, um, you'll often see that in the conversation as to, well, okay, so you did 12 by 400 meters and you averaged 90 seconds. That's great. And then you did 12 by 400 meters and you averaged 89 and then 88 and then 87 uh, over, let's say a two month period, yet your race, you're not racing any better. You still go out and run the exact same 5k within five or 10 seconds. Every time you go out, like, what am I missing here? And the answer is, well, you've just trained yourself to get better at that workout. You haven't trained Mm -hmm. yourself to get better at the test or the race itself. And a lot of times as silly as it sounds is that's actually a trap repeating the same workout, giving you the same stimulus, building a false sense of security because you become a master at executing the workouts in your cache or your repertoire. And then you go out and the needle hasn't really moved on the high-end racing front. And it's become, you become a master of your own craft and rightfully so. You've just learned how to run intervals. You haven't really made yourself any better at the race itself. And people get this false sense of confidence because they know where to manage their effort in their high rocks repeats now, their simulation they do every weekend. They they get that, but it doesn't often translate nearly as well. And so that's a big point of uh, conversation amongst like the elite uh, coaching realm. And you see it, if you look up blogs like on the internet, you start like diving into best 5K workouts and all this, mm-hmm. you'll start reading a lot about this as people are just getting good at workouts and they're not getting better at racing. And so I like that you bring up that point. I don't know what to make of it, but but I'm sensing that these people you're talking to or that you've noted have fallen into that trap. Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to be against standardized workouts and repeated workouts because they're they're mandatory. They just can't be your only marker and you have to repeat them enough to get the newness out of the way. And you can't repeat them so much that that's the only skill you're working on. And that's really the point. There are workouts I'll look at and I know if I can hit blank in it, I'm ready because I can't fake that fitness. Right. Treadmill challenge, for example, I can't fake that fitness 12 by 400. I can fake that fitness. If I've done a ton of fast, short speed work, I can run a great 12 by 400, but it doesn't mean I'm ready to go run a 21 mile mountain race, you know, that kind of thing. So getting really good at a workout 
or goaling in on the skills needed to get better at that workout is tricky. And your point of, I know how to rest my high rocks intervals now or do whatever. That's so many times you hear someone say, my, my overall work time on this workout came down a ton. And then you ask to see all the splits and you realize like you had a 48 second improvement, but 27 seconds were transitions because you got better at getting in and out of your stations or you set your stations better up at your gym. And, and that's important. You need to work on that because that translates to race day. If you get better at transitions in practice, you're better at transitions in race day, but you also need to have a different type of workout that tests your work just as much as this one tests your transition. So again, it's, it's not getting too blinded by one indicator. Yeah. What's interesting about that, just as I'm thinking back on myself and I have, of course, you should have repeatable workouts, um, to help track progression and things like that. Um, and some, I do think like repeatable, like if you repeat the 15, 15 test every two months, you're not gonna be able to fake that. That will absolutely tell you where your fitness is at. So there are accurate repeatable workouts that aren't going to lie to you. But, um, I think back to some of my like some of my breakouts, some of my good races or even good training sessions. And do you want to know what almost always precedes those by a week or two? Is some workout where I swung for the fences or some new stimulus, a lot of times on the incline trainer, which when you blow on that thing, you blow, um, where I went down in flames. And if I've left thinking like, I'm not as fit as I think I am, or like that did not go well. Well, it didn't go well, but it didn't mean my fitness was good. What I did is I threw something at my body in which it didn't know how to handle. I swung for the fences and landed somewhere in the infield. But if I just based like my fitness off of that workout, it'd be like, man, you are not where you thought you were. Yet a week later, or even later that week, I go out and run a 5k PR. Or I go race and feel fantastic. And if I would have stayed in my little bubble, been like, yep, my, I can go hit this three by three by 400 meter workout. And I know exactly how to do it. Um, left feeling great about it. I don't think it would have nearly moved the needle as, as much. So, um, it just reminded me of something like that. Like those workouts that like, you really don't even know what you're getting yourself into. They might not even tell you where you're at at the time. Uh, in fact, they might leave you humbled, but those seem to be the ones that for me anyways, sort of like move the dial just, just a little bit. So the third and final major thing I noticed out there in terms of a negative trend was I had this and then I found out about this and that's what I'm doing now. Like the actual changing of training theory and style or switching from one coach to another coach, which none of those things are bad, but it's how you tie them together. And the only way I can, I I was thinking on the airplane, how, how do I even make this sound realistic like what is the what is the way of explaining this so it makes sense and all i can think about about it is like if you're laying some sort of road or some sort of pipe and you switch diameters or if you're laying down train tracks and you change the type of track you're laying down well if you have the proper adapter there things work just fine But if you don't have the proper connector between the two pipes or between the two styles of track, your car or your train or the flow of water, it cannot get through there efficiently. And you're losing water off to the side. We've done some plumbing in this house and you always have to have either a sleeve that you put on there or some sort of connector that takes you from the old style cast iron pipe to the PVC we're putting in. 
but it's all about the adapter piece. You can put as much money as you want into all this new pipe that you're putting in there with your plumbing or this new train style, uh, this track you're putting down. But if you don't have the correct adapter between the two, you just lose speed or water or you entirely go off the tracks. And that is something that I saw as well. That was less frequent, but this is more of also seeing this over the years that someone changes direction in training without the proper adapter connecting the two together. Does that come through what I'm trying to say here? It's been a while since we've had an analogy, I'm realizing. Really enjoyed that one. So I tried to like cobble through. Yeah, it worked well. It makes perfect sense. So then you have to like, obviously you have to piggyback that analogy, which was clear as day in my opinion. And I think I think I can wrap my head around that. Um, like what what is that connector piece look like in the sense of training? Like wh- what does that need to entail, right? Like, right. Or, or, or for example... Not to get derail ourselves, I guess, a little bit of a pun in there, but like, let's say somebody just gets through high rocks or they just get through big bear. They just get through training for a road 5k, but next is a event that requires different skill sets. We just did an episode about race everything and look your best, meaning like it's okay to switch modalities that, Mm -hmm. that like that piece there, that transition um would also just apply to people switching focuses which most listeners to this do throughout the year so i think this can just spread more to our entire audience versus just like yes. a high rocks uh participant or something so what does that connector piece like have to entail well i think that connector piece the theory of what we're about to talk about solves the whole triangle here these three different issues that people run into, which is getting lost in the weeds, repeating what they've done blindly, or totally switching lanes. The connector piece binds all three together, which is that your main core concept of training and increasing fitness cannot change. Mm-hmm. The way you go about it can change. The skill sets you work on can change. The, the, you can repeat things you've done in the past, but the main progress for getting better, that methodology cannot change Mm -hmm. and if you keep your core little that adapter piece no matter what type of pipe you put before and after if the adapter is always the same you guarantee that water is going through and that's i think the, the the crux of this whole episode which is what is your methodology what is your theme of training that you don't lose ever well i think your connector piece or your adapter i mean if we just think like if we just think our philosophy like that could be Mm -hmm. summed up in one word and that's threshold perfect work which i don't want to get too much into the weeds with it all again but like we started this conversation with like i did anyways with like the foundation is always going to be your foundation don't let the base erode um and develop cracks and that means like whatever you're doing your connector piece still needs to be like reverting back to threshold work no matter how it's figured out no matter the nuances and the strings you want to pull and you know if you want to get cute once in a while fine i roll my eyes at that a little bit but threshold work has to be the connector piece any transition you make it's a perfect example now that's following the threshold emphasis of training what if it's purely polarized where it's either fully aerobic or vo2 max or faster that's fine, but that cannot change. Mm-hmm. What if you're the person who loves multi-pace training? Maybe it's Horwell's five-pace theory. That's fine, but no matter what you're doing, you have to hit those five paces 
always. Otherwise, you derail the work you've been doing. And so I want to give some examples of how that works for each one of these three weaknesses that people showed this weekend. The first is getting caught in the weeds. Let's give a Big Bear example. Someone realizes that they just aren't any good at downhill compared to the people around them or uphill, let's say, or training at altitude. Whatever it is, they go all in on that. They're either going to really want to emphasize downhill, really want to emphasize uphill, or really want to emphasize altitude simulation work. Well, instead of just choosing the, you know, going online or talking to a downhill expert and saying, how did you get good at downhill and doing that? You talk to those experts or you read the books or you do the research or you look at what you've done in the past in your training to get good at downhill and you take that, but you do it through the adapter of the fitness you've been building. So if you were in a threshold stage and now you're going to VO2 max, that work has to be done at VO2 max still. And if you're, if you're running uphill work and you want to get good at it and you want a grindy session, but you're in the middle of a different you're in the middle of a a VO2 max session or emphasis block, you have to find a way to check both of those boxes. You have to be able to do a grindy workout with VO2 max emphasis. Otherwise, what's the point of a five-week VO2 max build if after two weeks you switch to skill work? Like you don't reap the benefits of it. If it's a threshold, for example, and let's say high rocks or decafit where you want to do skiing and rowing is just weak. Well, you can't just go in there and thrash VO2 max intervals if you've been building your threshold this entire time because you're stopping that development and you're sharpening right then. That same system of VO2 max work affects your running and your rowing because your heart doesn't change from modalities. You have the same heart. You have the same lungs. So you need to do your work in the vein of what the emphasis for that block of training was. If you were doing 10 by 1,000 at threshold with 60 seconds recovery, do a version of that on the rower or the skier. You can't change the entire work for the skill. You need to take the skill and adapt it to your pre-existing programming. Yes, I agree with that. I think people often trap themselves um, in the sense where like, they've already added all the stimulus. They got to work on this. They got to work on that. They've thrown a bunch of ingredients into the pot and they're like, I don't even know what to add to make this soup any better because I've thrown everything into it. I don't even, I can't strip it back down to the broth and and start over. Like I'm gonna lose all of that flavor, we'll call it. Well, like I think the what you're outlining a little bit is like, like don't trap yourself in your own sort of. Uh, I don't know. I keep using the word cute, but like don't trap yourself with like fancy. Like this VO2 max work you talk about, like is only sustainable for a brief period of time and. And people feel like they need to go to the well on these certain skills in which they're lacking for specific races. But um, once you trap yourself, like you also need to like take a step back and then and then start back over with with sort of the the basics. And I don't I don't really know what I'm getting at there, other than the fact like I think people who didn't perform like they would like to, no matter the race or at any time in the year, they often feel trapped and don't know like where to go, and they think more is more. Uh, or layering in more is going to help. And oftentimes it's actually the exact opposite of that. Um, You want to get as much return on your investment with the least amount of fanciness, with the least amount of ingredients, because then you can add them all in later and trapping yourself by overcomplicating, overstimulating, worrying about nuances and adding everything in and fitting everything in and getting super focused on all these things that are really only a minute portion of your fitness 
ends up at a dead end every single time. And then you're stuck at the dead end with like no path to take. And so, um, I think I have like the one point I want to keep getting across with this as I'm realizing is, is the same thing. You're muted by the way. Um, yeah, there's some construction work going on. Yeah. I was wondering, it sounds like a jackhammer was in the background. It is a jackhammer. Is it actually? (laughs) Yeah. It's tearing up the road out here right now. Okay. But yes, I just wanted to piggyback what you were saying with that sort of sentiment. Well, what, what you were saying was hitting me as people are starting from the wrong end. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. And they're working the wrong direction. It would be like what happened to us last week. All right. I made salmon and I made rice and they were both a little too spicy for the kids. So next time I'm like, I can't use chili powder anymore. Let's try paprika instead. And now I've got my salmon and my rice sitting there and I look up recipes online, recipes with paprika that aren't too spicy. And I find one, I'm like, this looks pretty awesome. All the reviews say it's not too spicy. It uses paprika. I already have that. That's what I wanted to start with. All right, what do I do? And now I look down and it's a chicken breast recipe. So I got to go to the store and get chicken breast for it. And it pairs with noodles and broccoli rather than peppers and rice. And so suddenly I get to the end and I've had to go out and buy chicken and noodles and then the spices that go with the noodles. And I come and I'm like, hey, this is what we had last time, but I use paprika instead of chili powder. And the kids are like, Ayla's like, I don't like chicken. And Brandon's like, I don't like noodles. And I realized, shoot, <laughs> I didn't use anything I used last time. I wanted to fix the one thing that was wrong with it. But because I started at that end and worked backwards, I ended up using a whole different set of ingredients that I even wanted to use. And I created problems that didn't exist last time. And that's how this training works if you work from the wrong end of it. Rather than saying, I have these ingredients. I have salmon, I have rice, and chili powder is too much. And looking up salmon and rice with paprika recipe, I looked up paprika. And that's the way that these people are addressing it. I'm just going all in on analogies today. Dude, you're making up for lost time. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, your your salmon and your rice is like your actual fitness. That is still the the foundation that you have built in the tiny minutiae, which does make a difference because obviously that paprika or that chili powder was enough to make those kids not like it. But that's a what a three percent of really what's in by volume in that recipe. Not even, but we're splitting hairs there, but you understand what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You really messed up. Did that actually happen? And why does your kid not like noodles? Is that for real? The first half happened. The second half was theoretical. Okay. I was like any kid that doesn't like noodles. I need to talk to that kid. Right. Okay. But what would a chef do there? A chef would say, start with your base ingredients. Again, you've got your rice, you've got your, your salmon. Now, We're going to start with a different seasoning. Now, we're going to have to remove a few of the other seasonings because they pair with paprika differently than they pair with chili powder. But this is how you go about watering down that spice and still making it taste good. And that's where the thinking of the training comes in. A non-chef like myself might just say, show me great recipes with this seasoning, and then I wind up with something totally different. And that's where having people in your corner to look over your training, that's huge. That's the way you would use that commonality of training to guide when you have to go all in on skill work. Now you can translate that to repeating blocks of training as well. If we know our rice and chicken, that's what we eat. Like the chicken or the salmon, whatever form of protein you want, that's your, that's your quality work, your anaerobic stuff, and your rice is your base work. So you don't want to go from a chicken guy to a salmon guy because you had a bad, 
bad race one time, you need to stay a chicken guy. You just season it differently. So when you repeat your block of training, the way you know you're improving is you keep doing the type of intensity you wanted to do. And you play around with this block of training. I'm going to shorten rest a little bit. Or this block of training, I'm going to lengthen my reps and keep the rest the same. Or this block of training, I'm keeping distance and rest the same and I'm de- or I'm increasing the pace slightly. You have to play with the little spice variables in order to know that you're actually improving your recipe. You can't just switch out wholesale or repeat it exactly the same because you're not going to learn anything. So let's say your threshold theory, which is my threshold theory, mm-hmm. and we're doing threshold training. Well, that's easy if you're doing blood testing because you can see that you're improving because your blood's staying the same as you're getting faster. But if you're not, you start playing around with shorten the rest from 60 seconds to 45 and see if you can still complete it. Or take those 1,000-meter reps and change them to 1,200-meter reps or 1,500-meter reps. You have to change something or keep everything the same and raise your weekly volume by 10 miles. But you have to keep doing the same style of speed work that you had done in terms of intensities and you have to change something else. You can't just throw out threshold work and throw in 5K in the other example. And in this one, you can't repeat the exact same threshold work with the exact same rest and the exact same volume and expect to get better. Yeah, well, you just put a little salt and pepper on everything and 99% of people are going to leave satisfied, aren't they? Yeah. You don't need the flash necessarily to have happy customers, right? Which I would say leads you to believe that, and me, If you had to choose one issue or the other, I'd rather get stuck repeating training I know works than getting lost in the weeds of skill work. Mm -hmm. Because if you know you like salt and pepper and you know you like this dish and you never try anything new, you're never going to develop any new favorite dishes, but you're also probably not going to get tired of that dish for a while. And that's the way training works. You will be probably equally successful doing the same thing over and over as long as you do the full extended buildup rather than missing the extended and just doing that payoff part of training over and over. Doing a 12-week build into a race, having three weeks before the next one and repeating the final three weeks again that you did before the first one doesn't guarantee you're going to have the same result. So finding a way to repeat the necessary portions is what you need to do. Yeah. I think like the the more and more I do this, the longer I've been doing this, the more I just think like, and maybe, maybe everybody trends this direction as they sort of get older and they've been doing this for, I mean, gosh, I've been endurance training uh, consistently since I was in eighth grade. How old are you in eighth grade? 14 or not 25 years now I've been doing this and you learn through your own mistakes and your own successes. You learn through now as we've been coaching for how long and how many athletes, like sometimes we get it very right. And sometimes we miss the mark a bit. So we learn from our athletes. We learn a lot Mm -hmm. because we just have more subject studies. Like we just do right. Mm -hmm. Add on top of it, living it yourself and then having uh, your athletes as examples. Point being is the older I get, the more perspective I have. It's like, like if there's one, if you're, if you're like at a, crossroads and you're wondering like what to do with your training like you're like should i add this in or did i do too much of this or too little of that or what specific skill like gosh the rower blew me up so do i need to go all in on this you know what the answer is it's the simplest one whatever Mm -hmm. the simplest answer is to your problem that you want to fix with your fitness or if you're at a pivot point and you're trying to figure out how to change your training 
whatever you're sort of bouncing around in your head, pick the simplest one. Yes. Whatever that looks like, that's going to be the one that's probably going to move the needle the furthest and give you the most bang for your buck. And like now it's like I, I try to, you know, I was trying to come up with crazy workouts five, eight years ago that I thought would really, really just be the stimulus that I or my athletes needed. And I think it served its purpose in the fact that I now have perspective that simple works in the gym. People have been bench pressing for years to grow a bigger chest. Like you're never going to see that go away. I don't care how many cable flies you do or how many, whatever it may be. The point being is simple basics. Like think that base your decision, in my opinion, off of that, like very simple uh, advice. Yes. That's what I think. Yeah. And to round it out for the athletes that totally switch systems, the system switch that changes the intensities that you work at drastically is for the off season. The in season system shift can work if it maintains the theme of your training. Precisely. So let's say you switch from Kirk to me mid season. That will probably work. Kirk mm-hmm. likes climbing. Kirk likes threshold. Kirk likes long workouts and long quality days and long runs. Kirk likes strength work. I like those things as well. The way we do it is slightly different. We've shared athletes before mm-hmm. in the in the sense that, uh, let's say, Sean White and Jared Price, who we, who we work with out of Utah, they're training partners, less now, but they were getting together for workouts, but we yep. coached one of them. So <laughs> I'd take a look at Kirk's training of Sean, and then come up with a workout for Jared that he could do at the same time as Sean's that addressed their own skill sets while working on the same premise of the workout. So I've seen his stuff. I've seen mine. I know that our workouts, you could move from Kirk to me mid-season because you're going from a threshold emphasis to a threshold emphasis. That works. When you choose like this system, I love the system, but I'm doing it wrong and this person can lead me. You have to make sure that you put the proper adapter on there to translate your intensity over. If you go from, let's say that real polarized training of I'm either easy aerobic or I'm VO2 max or faster, and you change to a new style of system or workouts, it's going to work if you keep those intensities the same. And if you want to switch to a threshold style system, you're going to have to do it after your big event, not six weeks before, because you're just derailing all the work you already laid. So if you Mm -hmm. keep those commonalities always, you could change points of emphasis throughout the whole year and keep launching your fitness forward because your workouts don't change. They're progressive in nature. They're adaptable. They build off of each other. And the skill work and the modality is the only thing that changes. And then you can totally, you can switch from an ultra to a 1500 meter race, to a decafit, to a high rocks, to a, a mountain Spartan ultra, to or ultra, to a triathlon without ever changing how your quality workouts really look from a systemic level. You have to have that continued thread throughout your training in order to not make mistakes that you can't quantify. Because some of those athletes are going to take a look at what they did in Big Bear or high rocks and not have a good one ingredient they can point to to say this is where I failed because it was disjointed and now you don't know which is to blame or which is to praise for what went right or wrong and that having a great race that you can't identify why is just as destructive as having a bad race where you can't identify why yeah I think you bring up a good point though about like 
like honing in on like uh, all in on a certain skill mid season or before a race. And then, you know, you have the wrong connector piece and you're, you're losing fitness and other skills out the, out the, between the cracks. Um, people often want to add like another arrow to their quiver, which I understand. Like this is an arrow or a skill I don't possess. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go all in on X and add that arrow to my quiver. But what happens when we do it in season with a big, important race approaching is we tend to, um, again, don't have the right connector piece. We start to lose other aspects of our fitness, which make us good in the moment. So your point, which sounds like counterintuitive of working on, you know, that arrow to put in your quiver in the off season or after an event, when it's not immediate or eminent that a race is coming up, you care about that is actually the right timing to work on that new arrow to put in your quiver, not that three, four weeks leading into an event and then letting your other things that make you great slip through the cracks. And so um, I very much agree with that, um, that sentiment for sure. Yeah, the two ways that I think we can show quick examples are uphill running and rower. Those are two places people struggled this weekend. And if you wanted to, one month out from your race, change your flat running to uphill running, but you kept hitting your same intensities and interval. Let's say you were going to do uh, 10 by 800 week one, 10 by 1,000 week two, and 10 by 1,200 week three. That's probably not what anyone's going to do, but it shows a progression of workouts. Yep. If you convert those distances to the time it would take to do it, and then you do those uphill on the treadmill and take the same rest at the proper intensity, you haven't disrupted anything internally. Your engine still continues to improve, but now you are race specific in your fitness. That's how you pivot your training without changing anything. Same thing with the rower. You have those same workouts. I was going to do 10 by 1,000 or 10 by 800, 10 by 1,000, 10 by 1,200 running. Well, now maybe you change it to 8 by 1,000 run with 2 by 1,000 finisher on the rower. Or maybe you do your full running workout in the evening, you tack on a short rower workout with some threshold intensity at that. Or even short tack on of actual intensity, VO2 max with short with a longer rest in the evening, but short little intervals. But you keep the premise of the training going and you find a way to fit that skill into it. So you have not changed your engine. You can't switch from, from gas to diesel. You can't switch from high octane to low octane. What you can do is change the size of your tank or the adapters to the tank, but you cannot change that in the middle of a road trip. That just does not work. Well, and I just want to remind people here that our bodies are amazing in the sense where they respond to very little stimulus, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So all in, in quotes on something, doesn't necessarily mean all in in the sense where now that is your focus every day or every quality day or something you're cramming down your throat. As simple as like layering in one skill set once a week in small doses, even let's say if it's four weeks leading into a race, you don't have to go back and rewrite the script in order to do that. Our bodies want to adapt to stimulus. And that means like you don't need to throw earth shattering stimulus at them If you go in the gym and you've never lifted before, oh no, let's say you have been lifting and all you do is you do three sets of 10 reps on the bench press and you do that once a week for four weeks. Maybe you spent five total minutes a week bench pressing. Do you think in four weeks that you're going to be lifting more than you did in week one? The answer is astoundingly yes, you will. And all you did was spend 
five minutes a week. Like, just put that into perspective, what that yeah. means for body and adaptation. So point being, like, rewriting the script, going from, you know, unleaded to diesel, for example, like, not necessary. Just remind yourself of that. Kirk, I have a question that I always ask athletes when we're going through goal setting or whatever. I've talked about some of those. What excites you the most? What would worry you the most if race day were tomorrow? Where there's there's a question I ask myself when I'm programming, sure. which would be, what would worry me if I saw it on a rival athlete's or a rival coach's plan before a race that we were both getting ready for? How often would I need to see something to be worried that they're going to be better at me than that? So let's say we're going to a mountain ultra and I've been doing my training. They've been doing theirs and I get to sneak peek at theirs. And I, this is the day before the race. And I think I haven't done enough downhill work and I go back and look at their weeks of training how many workouts would I need to see of downhill emphasis before I start to worry that they're going to be more prepared for downhill than I was? And I think it might be three. If I saw three big downhill days and I had done one, I would be worried. And so now I can look on there and say, bare minimum, I need to get three downhill sessions in order to change my fitness or whoever's fitness I'm training on here. Mm -hmm. Or if we're getting ready for a high rocks and neither athlete has done specific hard running after two sled pulls a sled push and a sled pull if i look at someone else's plan how many sessions would i have to see on there before i start to think oh man they're going to be way better than my athlete at this mm -hmm. that's my that's my rule however many i think i would have to see bare minimum is the bare minimum i want to have on here and if i have that many i don't have to worry about trying to cram any more in you know it jumps out to me like if i'm and I don't do this anymore, but I used to comb through other people's shit a lot more. Um, I'm mm -hmm. sure you're probably the same. Now I, I don't care what other my competition is doing because it's not going to affect what I do, but I used to be heavily influenced. I remember yeah. when I first got in the sport, I'd see like a crazy workout that the Bear and Ryan Kent did together, and I'd be like, well, know what I'm doing Tuesday, right? And now, yeah. now it doesn't matter. But when I just see – like I see intervals and OCR and uh, compromise sessions on people's training logs – I don't even give it a thought when I start seeing tempo to the top of the mountain or threshold intervals, maybe, or a tempo run, just the long grindy stuff for me is the ones that I'm like, they're going to be a problem. Cause if anything, they're durable. And, and so just to, that, which is kind of off topic, but that's what always gets me now. when I'm seeing somebody just constantly putting in like long, steady state work, I'm like, Oh, um, that we know, we know they're going to bring something to the table. That's going to be a good fight. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to think about it. What would worry me on someone else's plan? Yeah. That can keep you from doing too much tinkering in your own. Mm -hmm. like, you know, if someone added in one extra skier session a week for eight weeks leading up to this race, I think they'd have a major advantage over me going into this race. Well, now you know, you only have to do one per week to actually be better. Because if it would have worried you to be done to you, it means it's a positive if you do it to yourself. So that's a it's a it's a good way to keep you from over adapting your work. I feel like um today was a little bit of like one sort of ramble of just like thoughts that we felt like needed to get out there, right? But as talking through yeah. it, it was good reminders for me to be honest because we always try to find takeaways in these races, but neither of us actually raced them this weekend. You mm -hmm. almost did and and I was going to go to Big Bear and <laughs> And did Does not. that mean I had a, a better performance this weekend because I was closer to racing? For sure. Yeah. 
I made it till Thursday before I wasn't gonna. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Although I, I guess if you base it on FOMO, I don't know how much you had, but I had way more than I thought I was gonna about Big Bear. Um, you also reason. came out of the race healthier than I did. I, I sure did. So yes. I guess you're ahead there. <laughs> that's that's fair. But point being is, yeah, we didn't we we didn't get our personal takeaways from these races because we weren't in them, and so just trying to. I don't know, slap a little bit of a bow tie on some things that you saw, I think is important because if you're not going to learn from your own experiences, you might as well learn from other people's, right? Yeah. Not make their mistakes if you can. And I do agree with you. There was some, um, there were some players that I thought should have been in the mix that weren't. And then some that I didn't think would be, and really impressed me. And you have to think that comes down to, um, just body of work leading in and not getting distracted as the race mm-hmm. drew close, right? Yeah, and I don't want to read too far into results because people could be sick. People could have missed time. You never know what people are dealing with. True. But the conversations were very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you wanted to add to this to this one before I give a an ask to the audience? Every time I go to a race where I'm not racing, which has really only started happening in the last few years because if there was a race available, I raced it. But since coaching more and being injured more, I've got this, I don't know if opportunity is the right word, but this opportunity more and more. People ask me the same question, which is, is it just killing you to be here and not out there racing? And my answer unequivocally is no. The moment I check out of race mode, races terrify me, the thought of being at them. When I'm here watching, all I see are people out there hurting and working hard. And every single time, Kirk, Every single time I watch this thinking, I could never do that. Even if I had just done that competition the weekend before, it just, it is so impressive watching people do this sport at any level because running hybrid racing, mountain racing, it's so difficult that I leave with an appreciation for these athletes every single time watching these people work. Even if they're people I have beat before. Mm -hmm. or never lost to, I watch them and think, oh, I don't know if I can do that because it's just so impressive to watch in person. So every single person I watched, whether I loved your training plan or your result or not, it doesn't matter. I was blown away by you this weekend. Again, every single time I'm just reminded how incredible athletes really are when you get to watch them in person. TV dulls it. Sure does. In person, these people are impressive animals. Yeah, I'd say watching a high-end competitive race is far more intimidating than being in it. When you are in it, it is a very different experience. Mm-hmm. You don't have the, you know, bird's eye view of the suffering and um just the the effort it takes. And for some reason when you're in the race, well one you have an outlet in the moment, which is exertion. And then two, you're so blinded by the effort, you don't even take a step back to realize how like impressive or intimidating it could be. So racing it I think is is a little bit more comforting than standing there and watching, to be honest, because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. So you felt that way that week, this weekend, huh? Blew me away. Yeah. I, I, I was watching Rob Pettyjohn, that guy that I've worked with for t- over two years now, who I shouted out last time because he broke the record. Well, he became a world champ this weekend of his age group. He absolutely executed a race, but they had to do the pro weight on everything. And as I, I was watching this man who's in his 40s, run a time that I don't know if I could do right now watching him move this stuff. I just thought, man, I wouldn't want to be next to him right now because mm-hmm. he has put the work in and he is executing as everyone I watched just blew me away. How 
incredible the type of racing that this sport does is. You can't fake this stuff. There's no coasting. There's no Mm -hmm. coasting anywhere. Downhill work and running is work. It's not like on a bike. It's not like in a car. There's just no let up. And there were so many awesome stories and performances to watch that, again, I just walked away thoroughly impressed with our community. What about uh, you and Callie, now that you saw the mixed doubles come in? Where do you think, it, how do you think you would have failed, fared, best case scenario? I mean, that's tough. It's disrespectful to her to say we would have done anything but win. It's disrespectful to the team that won to say that we would have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've competed against the team that won one time and we beat them. Mm-hmm. So, and they became world champs. So the competitor in me says Callie and I would have been in the mix and I would have liked our odds. But the team that won went out and PR'd by over a minute and put on a show and beat some really, really good teams who on paper were better than them. So I guess it's less of me feeling like I missed out on a world championship and more that Lauren and Mark, I'm really freaking proud of you for Mm -hmm. your journey and the performance you put out. Because again, I watched those two going at it miserable out there and thought, oh, I don't want any part of these people right now. (laughs) Uh, What a shoulda, coulda. That's the name of your screen name. Yeah. But no, Callie and I would have done very well. Okay, good. I very figured. well. And Callie's a machine. Yeah. Um, folks, because we have a new podcast, um, I know it's easy. Speaking of shiny things and cuteness, uh, that would be the new podcast, Race Brain, right now. Um, but we're still here, right? And uh, the running public, that's not changing. Um, it's birthday week for us. And I know last year we were super annoying with this. And I believe one of the reviews left for us said, no more talk about birthdays. Well, it's been a year, Alexandra Walker. She left a review that said, happy to write your review. And she wrote something nice and then said, but please no more. <laughs> what did we do? Birthdays. We just had asked for reviews for our birthday. We were annoying about it. Oh, okay. We, we had very much straightforward asking. I for took it. it as she was tired of the talk about age and aging. Also and she could didn't maybe be it. true. But maybe we annoyed people. Well, I looked today, and we're at 495 ratings and reviews. And, I mean, that is just way too close to 500 to just let that sit. You know, that's just painful. So um, we asked on Race Brain to get us jump-started and leave ratings and reviews, and you guys came to bat for us. Uh, they've been pouring in, so thank you. But you can't forget about old standby over here now, can you, Bracken? Let's get to 500. It's a good even number. I, well, uh, hopefully we could surpass it. But if you've been listening and you have not written anything or even just taken the literal three seconds to click on the stars, which is all it takes, um, do that if you could for us, please. That's all we want for our birthdays. Yeah. Right now, about one in six of our faithful listeners have reviewed. If we just yeah. bump that up to two, two out of six, that'd be a great birthday week. We'd be sitting pretty. Yeah, and, and we've kind of you know leveled out at the rankings and would like to see us climb a little bit again if if uh we could and so just having an influx of that would be super helpful to stay competitive in this saturated podcast market and i went to bracken it is there's a new one every week kirk every week we do long runs for birthdays or every year i should say yep do you have a plan yet well there's a 50k this weekend right are you all in on it (sighs) they um it's not looking great final decision will be made wednesday and i will make my decision accordingly I, I have not okay. thought I, I have considered going 39 miles uh, this weekend to celebrate my 39th birthday on my own, maybe at Afton instead, just 
pivoting and, and doing that. Um, I also know that'll blow me out for a week or two, which means maybe I should do something different if I don't want to take a breather afterwards. So I'm still actually waiting for Wednesday. I'm approaching this week as if I'm racing Saturday. So I'm race week protocol okay. regardless. So in how many days is Saturday from your birthday? Uh, it's one from my birthday and that might be the day I go along. Yeah. Yours is the 19th, 20th, 20th. Um, well, my birthday is Tuesday. Yeah. I, why? What are you thinking? Well, I, I'm doing a run, but it has, uh, it's going to be around 10,000 feet of vert. I'm oh, going to nice. try to do that big one in Ireland. But I was thinking, what if we did 3,900 meters? A vert? I love that yeah, idea, vert. too. That's something I've thought about. That'd be a day. But I won't want to do it on the treadmill. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it on real terrain. Oh, man. That'd be huge. Because that'd be 369. That'd be, what, 11,000 feet of gain? Something yeah. like and that? I was thinking I might do 3,400 meters of vert on my birthday. Which, again, I would have to do it outside, too, because I'll be in Ireland. We can figure that out after Wednesday. What day do you leave? 18th. Okay. That's in that's in two, di- three, two days? Yeah, it is. Safe travels. I got some housekeeping to do to get up and ready for that. Safe travels. Thank you. All right, should we wrap this thing up? Put a bow tie on the birthday episode, Kirk. Bing. That's all. I'm going to be keeping an eye on those ratings and reviews, and um, I'm hoping my birthday wishes come true back Well, I'm going to go check race brains now. I haven't checked it yet. Do it. Thanks, guys. See ya.